0: Banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super
1: Friends.
2: The Man of
0: The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the Challenge of the Super Friends.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 110 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode we're going to reach the halfway point of my coverage of season 3 of Super Friends, the season commonly referred to as Challenge of the Super Friends. It will include the new Super Friends episodes, The Beasts Are Coming and Terror from the Phantom Zone, and the Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, The Giants of Doom, and the Secret Origin of the Super Friends. Hard to believe, isn't it? Season 3, almost finished. Well, not really almost finished. I still have, after this, four more episodes to go, half the season. But I really do believe that in the episodes I'm covering this week, I'm really hitting a high watermark for this season. I could be wrong. There could be better episodes down the pike that I don't really remember as clearly as the episodes I just watched and co- and are covering. But, you know, especially the episodes in, like I said, the second segment, very heavy into uh, Superman lore with, you could tell just from the title, the Terror from the Phantom Zone that leans heavily towards Superman lore and Secret Origin of the Super Friends. Well, one of the three heroes' origin that will be highlighted is uh, Superman. We've already seen Superman's origin discussed once in this show, way back in Season 1. I forget what the episode was called, but it was basically an unreliable narrator in Marvin telling the story of how Superman came to Earth. But before I get into uh, this week's episode, I have feedback to address, as usual. It is from the usual feedback writer, Dave McLevenny. Dave is writing in on episode number 99, in which I began my coverage of Season 2, The All-New Super Friends Hour. Dave writes... Greetings, Mike. Thanks for the laugh while you were reading my feedback from the Superman Meets the Brady Kids episode. I cracked up listening to you laugh while you read some of my comments. Laughter really can be contagious. As for this latest episode, beginning Season 2 of the all-new Super Friends Hour, certainly the Wonder Twins and Gleek are an improvement over Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. As the season progresses, we will see some genuine villains, too, rather than the misguided do-gooders of Season 1, which I think brings better stories, generally. Looking ahead, I'm definitely eager for later seasons, too when we encounter the Legion of Doom. The invasion of the Earthers was a little reminiscent of Superman and the Mole Men, but the Earthers seem more dangerous and menacing, even though their motives aren't evil, than the Mole Men. Looking forward to episode 100, which is quite a milestone, and I like hearing that you're getting closer to the beloved Superman in the movie. You're really going to enjoy covering that, aren't you? In the meantime, I promise to eat my vegetables and not Joyride. Live long and prosper. Dave. Well, as usual, thank you, Dave, for writing in, and just a few items in Dave's email that I want to address. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I echo his comment on laughter being contagious. You know, you find yourself having a good time when the host of the show was also having a good time. And one of my favorite things about listening to podcasts, which Andrew Leyland is on, you know, especially Hey his Comics, listen to The Prophets and uh, Overlook Dark Knight. Those are just a few of the uh, Andy Leyland hosted podcast that i listen to and i always love when one of the other hosts uh, gets andy laughing because andy has such a great laugh that you know it gets me laughing on the other side of the microphone you know you don't get that so much when he's by himself in palace of glittering delights but it is a uh a treat to the listener and dave also mentions that he believes that the wonder twins and gleek are an improvement over wendy marvin and wonder dog yeah i guess they are an improvement in some senses their dynamic is much the same as uh the girl character this time at Jaina, as opposed to Wendy, is kind of the level-headed one, while Zan, the boy who's basically taking the place of Marvin and Gleek, who takes the place of Wonder Dog, basically serve the same function that they served in the in season one. Like Marvin, Zan was the overeager one and kind of the comic relief, along with you know Gleek, who uh, is scared of everything and basically causes a lot of comedy through some of the things he does, and. Gleek is much more of a comedic character than Wonder Dog. I think they tried to play Wonder Dog straight. I don't know if I want to say that they played Wonder Dog straight, but Gleek tries to be more deliberately funny, I believe, than Wonder Dog does. Or did. So it makes the dynamic a little bit different. And I'm with Dave that the uh, genuine villains does bring better stories. We're going to see in this episode, especially when I cover the beasts are coming, we're not going to see, we're going to see an episode without any villains at all just kind of the super friends fighting beasts. I mean, you can consider the beasts as the villains, but it's really a problem they have to solve as opposed to fighting a villain. They'll be correcting an accident as opposed to fighting villains. But you will see villains in all of the other three episodes, and you saw it more in season two. So I really do believe that the heavy-handed messages did get old after a while, and having villains kind of stumble into their villainy because they wanted to help, you know, or they wanted to improve their lives on their planet, at the expense of the people of Earth, you know, those stories are not as compelling as the heroes fighting the villains. Now, as opposed to our episode that I covered that week, you know, I really don't have anything to add to Dave's episode about the Earthers. And, you know, he pretty much got, got it right in the head. They're much more menacing than the Mole Men, but they're evil. They're trying to do damage, so I really don't have, not really a lot to uh, sink your teeth in with that episode. And yes, I've already well passed episode 100 at this point. And I am getting closer to the beloved Superman the movie. This is episode 110. Coverage of Superman the movie begins with episode 115. So, yeah, I am going to enjoy covering that. I've enjoyed the episode I've recorded so far. I'm recording this episode on August 13th. So, at this time, I've already recorded three. I'm almost there as far as recording goes. That is definitely something to look forward to. And I am hoping that will drop in October. And Dave, as far as you promising to eat your vegetables and not to joyride, Dave, I expect that an upstanding Superman fan like yourself would always eat his vegetables and not joyride. I can't say I always eat my vegetables, but I do not joyride. Can't afford the gas. So that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with the new Super Friends episode, The Beasts Are Coming, and the challenge of the Super Friends episode, The Giants of Doom. Hang around, folks
2: take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team, operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit. Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the league through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA Transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA Cover Month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes.
1: Alright, welcome back folks. Uh, All of the episodes covered in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 21st, 1978 and I'm going to start with the new Super Friends episode The Beasts Are Coming. And our synopses, as always, are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com your number one source for Superman information on the web. A malfunctioning rocket causes an experimental nuclear satellite to crash in Death Valley, California.
0: Secondary propulsion drive is malfunctioned. We're not reaching orbital
3: velocity. Activate auto-destruct. The auto-destruct is malfunctioning also. The satellite's ejected. If it falls back to the Earth, its radioactive power core could cause extreme danger.
1: The Super Friends respond immediately as Superman, Batman, Robin, and Aquaman try to fight off some giant-sized animals in the area. Wonder Woman and the Wonder Twins learn about the satellite, and Wonder Woman goes to the area to find the object. She becomes disoriented by the radiation and is forced to land. Venturing too close to the satellite causes her to mutate into a monster. The Twins try to help her when she attacks a marine base, but they mutate into monsters as well. The others learn about their friends and a growing danger along the California coast from giant earthworms.
3: It's no use, Superman. Those giant beasts are all over Death Valley. There isn't enough time to stop them all. We'd better check with Wonder Woman and see what she's found out. We're picking up a trouble alert emergency on the Bat Jet Monitor. Batman, our marine base was attacked at 0800. We couldn't stop the creatures. But we've been tracking them ever since. Great Gotham. it's Wonder Woman and the twins. Whatever contaminated those animals must have affected them we've also just received word that a horde of giant earthworms is undermining the
0: california coast they're starting earthquakes and the coastal cities are sliding toward the sea holy disasters which do we handle first
3: both of them aquaman and i will head for the coast right we'll intercept wonder woman and the twins come on
1: superman and aquaman take care of the coastal problem but what about wonder woman and the twins
3: According to the computer analysis, the only possible way to reverse the effects of the radiation is for Superman to bombard the power core with his X-ray vision. The high energy from Superman's X-rays will
0: alter the radiation and should reverse the effects. Holy Geiger counters! How can Superman get near the satellite safely?
3: Don't worry, Robin. Kryptonite is the only radiation that can affect me.
0: Radar scanners have located Wonder Woman's invisible jet. It is in quadrant four of Death Valley near Down
1: Satellite. Let's go. After he creates the antidote effect, the twins are returned to normal, followed by Wonder Woman, and finally all the Death Valley animals.
2: All of the creatures have been taken care of,
3: and the satellite is back in the hands of NASA. It sure is good to know that there's no more monstrous beasts around. Say, where's Gleek? Oh no, he must have gotten contaminated. <laughs> Yes, again, Zan. He's just showing off his home movies again.
1: <laughs> so like I mentioned in the opening, this is an episode that does not have a villain. David mentioned in his letter how having villains in the story makes for better stories, and I agree with him, but there's always room in a show like this for an episode where the Super Friends fight some beasts... Basically, what's happening here is that there's an accident that sets it into motion events they have to correct. It's almost like a Super Friends versus Nature story. And this is not something you could do in a movie, but in a TV, cartoon, you know, the kind of format where you've got another episode next week. You know, you can use an episode to do something like this. And I really had no issues with this episode. I, I enjoyed it. It was, you know, it's basically a monster movie for all intents and purposes. And, you know, monster movies have their place. I'm not the biggest fan in the world of them, but they're fine. You know, I really don't have any other thoughts on that. So this episode is going to start at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, doing what the Kennedy Space Center does best, launching something into space. Well, at least then it does it best. Uh, Not really so much going on in space these days. Back when my buddy Tom lived in Florida, I was visiting him. This was May of 2010. We could have gone to see one of the last shuttles get launched, but... We didn't wake up in time to go do that. But, of course, a malfunction will keep the missile from achieving the proper velocity to escape the orbit, and the uh, technicians on the ground can't self-destruct the missile because those controls aren't working either. So uh, the satellite will crash, and its radioactive core will rupture or something, and basically what it'll do is it'll hit the desert floor, and it'll send out these waves of radiation that will mutate the first creature it sees. We see what I just called a desert lizard. It's... Doesn't really look like any real animal that I know. And it makes it huge, and also has the same effect on a turtle and a scorpion. So, what I'm guessing, just watching this at this point, is that these are going to be the beasts in the title of the episode. The synopsis will say otherwise. But, you know, we go to the Hall of Justice, and we're back to the usual Wonder Twins chicanery. And Gleek painted Zant's thumb, causing Zant to make a Vincent Van Gleek pun, which was... Not at all funny. So, there's a cop calling the Super Friends to report the beasts. And the Super Friends head out to the California desert without Wonder Woman and the twins. I guess Wonder Woman either didn't want to fight the beasts or, you know, she had other things to do. Like polish her tiara or brush her hair or something. I don't know. So, Superman finds some guy hiding in the ruins of his house. And he reports a giant lizard coming through town. And, yeah, I'd probably try to hide in my house too if a uh, giant lizard was uh, running through town. So, they go to search for the beast, and they seem to have some trouble finding it. How hard can it be to spot a giant lizard? Well, they may not find the giant lizard, but they find do find the giant worm. Now, as we're uh, seeing the worm, here come a couple of idiots on a dune buggy. And if you ever wanted to uh, know what it would be like to have Superman in a dune novel... Now, you know, as these creatures kind of remind me of the Sand Worms of Arrakis, the uh, desert planet at the heart of the uh, Frank Herbert dune novels, which... Spawned a uh, pretty poor David Lynch movie in uh, 1984, I want to say, and a couple of miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel back probably in the early 2000s. Low budget, not not too great production value, but they did the story better than uh, Lynch's movie did. You know, in this world of where we've got movies of Lord of the Rings, Hunger Games, Harry Potter, which ironically just earlier tonight we I finished watching the last harry potter movie uh with my daughter Haley, so we finished uh those eight films together it took us a while but we finally got it done but anyway in a world where all these things are coming to the theaters over the past you know 20 years it's really high time somebody did decent movies on frank herbert's dune novels i mean those would really be a sight to behold on the big screen when done right anyway back to Superfriends, as this is not a dune podcast Superman basically kind of flies around the worms until they tie themselves in a knot, so maybe having him on a Arrakis wouldn't be such a good thing. So, the computer tells us what we already know, that the satellite created the beasts, but, you know, thanks for reminding us. In case we forgot what happened five minutes ago. Now, the beasts are giant, and again, how hard can it be to find these things? You know, that question is answered as Aquaman is found by a giant crayfish with huge pincers. And since all the sea life really is huge, Aquaman's telepathy doesn't work on them, but he does manage to trick a couple crayfish into attacking each other. So, there's that. So, Batman and Robin find some giant trails, and Robin is grabbed by a giant snail. And I guess those uh, bat reflexes that he's been honing in the bat cave don't help when you're faced with a giant snail. So, Batman has a bat moisturizer absorber in his belt. Good for when you expect to find yourself standing on a giant snail. So, Batman sprays it, and, you know, he kind of frees Robin, and. That's the end of that. You know, if you ever wanted to uh, see Batman and Robin fight a giant snail, this is your episode. So, these scientists tell Wonder Woman about the radiation and the effects it's having on the animals, and she correctly discerns that this is what caused the animals to mutate to their huge size. So, good. We've not only have we seen it happen, the computer has already t- has told us what happened, and now we have Wonder Woman t- telling us what happened. So, three different characters have already told us what happened. Or two, rather. But three times we've been told what's happened in this episode. So, Wonder Woman goes into to the core of the satellite and she's overcome by the radiation and crashes the invisible jet and she transforms into a giant wonder woman and while she does that she is become some kind of a huge beast with low intelligence and just kind of a being of pure rage very primitive life form so i guess you know increasing uh size wasn't enough i mean because when you think about it a huge wonder woman would be a serious help in this situation if everything affected by the radiation grew to scale just think of what Wonder Woman could do to the, uh, giant snail that vexed Batman and Robin so much. So, Wonder Woman attacks the base, and this general, you know, as always, the character is very calm about what's happening, as the beast-like Wonder Woman attacks his base. No one has noticed yet that what they're calling the creature is wearing Wonder Woman's costume, and at least the twins are smart enough to realize that the beast is Wonder Woman, as they see it on the, uh, the view screen at the Hall of Justice, which apparently can get video feeds from anywhere, even if there are no cameras recording the action. So Jaina becomes a falcon, and Xan and Ice swing, and Gleek doesn't want to come. Maybe he's scared of the gigantic Wonder Woman. And, you know, with all these giant beasts in the, de- in the desert, there's plenty to be scared of. But as they leave, Xan uh, scoops up Gleek anyway. So the twins then become, when they get to Death Valley, they become an ice blizzard. Xan does, and then Jaina becomes a pterodactyl, and Jaina is weakened by the-, by the radiation, and the twins get all beastified. Gleek does exactly what you would expect him to do in this situation. He hides under the sand. So, the Marines alert the Superfriends to the attack, and when they see the footage, someone, I think it's Batman and Robin, finally recognize the beasts are Wonder Woman and the twins. But not all the superheroes can take care of that, because there are some giant earthworms, you know, some more big earthworms from Dune, are trying to undermine the West Coast. You know, on the television medium, before Lex Luthor will try to undermine the West Coast with a couple of missiles. So Superman and Aquaman take care of the worms, leaving the beasts to Batman and Robin. So, my first question is, do Batman and Robin have an answer to this? The answer is no, as they end up trapped underneath a minecart. Now, Batman cuts them out of it as the twins shake some cable car supports, and the Batjet does make a nice save catching the cable car as it falls, although there is some nice little dialogue uh, with Batman saying, he has to stop them before it's too late, and Robin's immediate reply is, it's too late. Guess he had to be there. So, Superman throws the uh, earthworms that are taking out California into an abandoned oil tank, and he basically just picked them up and dropped them there. And meanwhile, at this point, I'm starting to wonder what happened to the previous piece that we saw. And uh, I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen with the uh, water tower. as These worms can probably channel their way out of it. But nobody else decided to pay any attention to that, to that. So I'm not going to. Superman fills in the tunnel. Kind of reminding me of a crude version of what we're going to see in Superman the movie. Alright, so the heroes go back to the hall to get the answer off the internet. Superman has to hit the satellite with his X-ray vision to reverse the radiation. So he does. Then he aims a satellite at the twins and Wonder Woman, returning them to normal. It becomes an easy solution as Superman just kind of flies around and uh, uses the radiation to fix all the creatures. Now, this shows Superman go back to the coast, but I'm wondering how those worms got back into the tunnels when he left them in the oil tank. Because the animation shows the worms are back in Undermining California. I'm guessing they're just different worms, but I really hope he did go back for the ones that were in the oil tank. Or in the water tank. But anyway, we end on Gleek showing his home movies, which results in a giant Gleek being seen. So, like I said, this episode wasn't bad, but no villain, just an accident that needed some fixing. And you don't always need a villain to make an enjoyable episode. Sometimes you just need a few mindless monsters and to create some suspense. Okay, with that said, let's move on to the Challenge of the Super Friends episode, The Giants of Doom. And our synopsis is as follows. Bizarro has a plan to create a giant ray which will make Legion members 100 feet tall.
3: We have planned to destroy Super Friends, then Legion of Doom be ruler of Earth.
0: Sounds like Bizarro has another twisted idea in that backwards mind of his. Bizarro idea work.
3: Be no way to make Ray Device turn anyone into 100 foot giants. Sounds interesting. Tell us more, Bizarro. We got rare sorium element from Asteroid. Only need two other elements, Robalt and Introdium. Then me use Justice League computer to fuse elements into Giant Ray. Turn Legion of Doom into Giants of Doom. Bizarro's a fool. There's no way he can get to the Justice League computer. Besides, I can turn into a giant without his three elements. We have plan. Trick super friends, get to computer, then me make giants twice your size. I say we try it. Right! Me go with Sinestro, find second element.
1: First, two elements must be recovered by Bizarro and Sinestro from the moon's core, and Toyman and Captain Cold near the Parthenon. Then, allowing themselves to be captured by the Justice League, when Luthor and Brainiac attack the Hall of Justice.
3: Getting captured on purpose was a brilliant idea, Bizarro, and my power ring is set to go off just about... Now Sinestro's ray taking over my mind. That's right, Green Lantern. I am in complete control of your mind now. First you will open the electronic detention cell. Very good. And now you will join your friends outside. I'm sure they could use your help? <laughs> Now, me put Sorium, Robalt, and Introdium elements into Justice League Computer. Turn them into Giant
0: Ray. Justice League Computer warning. Circuits are not programmed to follow Legion of Doom's orders. Program rejected.
3: My power ring hypnotizes
0: computers as well as people, you stupid machine. Program now in process. Elemental transformation complete! (laughs) Haha! Giant raid now ready! Soon we put end to Super Friends
2: and rule world!
1: The four villains become giants and Captain Cold freezes the Super Friends and then Toy Man catapults them to Saturn. And then the JLA force field is turned on around Earth. Batman thaws the heroes out and is able to turn off the force field from the JLA satellite.
3: We've still got one chance left. Look!
0: The Justice League satellite!
3: Right. I may be able to rewire the control circuits and turn off the force
0: field. But Batman, the satellite protection devices can only be turned off from the Hall of Justice. If the satellite defense mechanisms activate, you may be... I know, Robin. It's a chance we've got to take. Leaving the protection of Green Lantern's energy field, Batman approaches the Justice League satellite.
3: Almost got it. The force field's gone. Let's go!
1: Then Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern become giants to stop the Legion.
3: Looks like we finally put an end to the Legion of Doom's sinister plans.
0: Not yet, Superman!
3: It's Luthor and the Hall of Doom! Quick, after them! like we've got the entire legion of doom
0: it's empty that's right superman you caught yourself a big decoy not the legion of doom
3: maybe not this time luthor but at least we've proven that the giants of doom are no match for the giants of
1: justice Okay, so this episode is basically going to be, be uh, honey, I blew up the superheroes. We've, uh, had a couple of episodes with people being shrunk. Now the Legion is going to make themselves a hundred feet tall to defeat the Super Friends. Lots of stuff being increased in size in this segment, I'll just say that. So we start off with a nice shot of the Hall of Doom on the floor of the sea, and, uh, nice to see it not on the, uh, rising to the surface of the swamp, like it does in every other episode. And, uh, Bizarro has an idea to use a ray device to turn anyone uh, into a 100-foot giant, and Giganta shows off her ability to turn into a giant, basically, saying without any stupid serum, but some posturing by Bizarro about making giants twice her size intrigues Luthor. So, they need two more elements from the moon's core, and Sedestro's ring just carves the moon in half like a roast. And of course, we have a presence on the moon in this show, and these astronauts who are on a moon base are very calm about the moon being cut in half.
0: It's an emergency alert, and it's coming from the moon. Super friends,
3: this is Major Thompson on moon Base 1. Bizarro and Sinestro are using some sort of laser ray to cut open the moon. There's only moments before they cut through our... We've got to get to the moon fast. Right, Superman. Robin and I will
0: follow you in the Bat Rocket.
1: So here comes the alert from the moon, and this astronaut seems to have the Starfleet logo on his suit. I wonder if Paramount noticed that it's you know it's different enough to not be the Star Trek logo while still invoking the thought of it. And when I say the Star Trek logo, I'm at this time Star Trek the Motion Picture had not come out; that's still a year away. But it's definitely the reminiscent of the logo worn by the Enterprise crew in the late 60s in the Star Trek original series. So Batman and Robin will get the astronauts while Superman takes care of the moon. And again, these astronauts who are on the moon base are very calm about their upcoming asphyxiation. So Superman does what you would expect, he pushes the moon back together as the heroic Super Friends theme music plays, and then he finishes by welding the moon. And I must admit, as I'm watching this, I do get into uh, the music as it plays. You know, you know it's a repetitive tune, but it is a little, up- it is very uplifting. So it appears that Superman and Batman have captured Sinestro and Bizarro. So then Captain Cold and Toy Man attack the Parthenon in Greece, and Cold turns it into uh, an icicle. And they find the element as Green Lantern and Aquaman show up. But, you know, Green Lantern does all the work as he traps them in a construct igloo with his ring. Was it really necessary to bring Aquaman along? Why it was necessary to bring Aquaman along, I don't know. Maybe it was to give Green Lantern someone to talk to, even though we never see who he talks to and Aquaman never answers. So Superman and Bizarro argue about who's in trouble as Brainiac and Luthor attack. Apparently the super friends are playing right into the Legion's trap. So outside the Hall of Justice, this gets kind of funny as Luthor hits the... It's Batman Robin, a Wonder Woman with an anti-gravity ray that has the three heroes just kind of doing flips. So this is when Sinestro reveals that they got captured on purpose as a way to access the Justice League computer to use it. And Sinestro's ring hits Green Lantern and takes over his mind. So much for the strong-willed Hal Jordan who can overcome fear. Sinestro uses his mind as a toy right here. So apparently the computer is smart enough to know that the Legion of Doom is trying to program it and it refuses to help. That is a very smart computer. Then Sinestro hypnotizes the computer, and it does the job for them. Apparently, uh, Sinestro's ring has some Captain Kirk abilities that it can sweet-talk the computer into doing whatever it wants. Captain Kirk usually talked computers into self-destructing. Sinestro seems to have been able to use his ring to hypnotize a machine into creating the r- enlarging ray that Bizarro wants. So now we've got villains rising up out of the Hall of Justice, and that's a pretty cool image with the uh, four villains towering over the hall. So, Giant Pizarro swats Superman like a fly. Toyman turns Wonder Woman into a yo-yo. And they're put in an ice tube, and Toyman literally slingshots them to Saturn. And, uh, since so they can't come back, the villains turn on the Justice League shield that covers Earth. Why the Justice League shield isn't around Earth all the time, I don't know. But, at this point, the Legion of Doom is turning the the force field on, presumably so the Super Friends can't come back. And now... The narration tells us that the Super Friends are at gaseous Saturn. Well, they crash land. And as far as I know, Saturn has no land. It's just a gas giant. No uh, land masses that I know of. And meanwhile, the Giant Legion members are taking over the world by intimidating it. The Chinese refuse to submit it until uh, Sinestro creates an army of animals. And that takes the wind out of their fight pretty quickly. Of course, Batman had a defroster that melted the ice... You would think the gas of Saturn's atmosphere would do that, but no. And again, I'm going to reiterate my belief that there is no land on Saturn. But there are gas monsters which attack the Super Friends. So, Flash will turn himself into a tornado and whisk them all back to Earth. And it's amazing how they can all survive in space without breathing units. You know, we know Superman can, but, you know, Green Lantern can create a shield with his ring, but nobody else should really be able to survive in the vastness of space without a spacesuit, especially batman and robin they're both powerless so superman tries to break through the force field and he bounces off and batman's plan is to attack the satellite the justice league satellite and the narration indicates that they are surrounded by green lantern's energy shield so that explains how the justice league is conversing in space so bizarro screws up and left some residue in the computer and now we have giant super friends after they've taken the shield down uh, surrounding the earth basically what they had to do before they found the giant uh residue in the computer was to Batman reprogram the Justice League satellite to drop the force field. So Green Lancer takes care of Sinestro and Flash beats Captain Cold, and now there are two Superman villains out there on the field still, and so we get a giant Batman beating the Toyman, and Bizarro throws the Washington Monument like a javelin, and Superman puts it right back and he traps Bizarro in the Lincoln Memorial. So after the super friends also grow to 100 feet, the villains don't put up much of a fight, but they do escape. As the Hall of Doom shows up, shrinks its four members, and they get away as usual. So, Giant Superman catches what he thinks is the Hall of Doom, but it's a decoy, and the Legion is gone. An okay episode, not really a great one. The plot was silly and very Silver Agey, and the Legion is defeated by its own stupidity. Common fare for a cartoon of this time. And that's really all I have to say about that episode. I'm going to now take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and I'm going to come back with the new Super Friends episode. Terror from the Phantom Zone, and the challenge of the Super Friends episode, the secret origin of the Super Friends. Hang around, folks. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis, will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out
3: for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances the infamous tv pilot and much more so join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate
1: your favorite jli members such as
0: martian manhunter batman
1: dr fate black canary fire ice maxwell lord oberon captain marvel
2: rocket red captain adam mr miracle guy gardner booster gold Blue Beetle, Nort,
0: and many,
3: many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it?
1: All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 28th, 1978, and we're going to start with the new Super Friends episode, Terror from the Phantom Zone. And our synopses for both of these episodes in this segment... Brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Three Phantom Zone criminals managed to escape the zone when a comet passes by with a similar frequency.
0: It's been 15 long years since Superman put us in this cursed Phantom Zone. Right, Logar. We would have been better off if we never escaped from the prison of Krypton and were blown up with the rest of the planet. No, No Rumlock. After all these years in this cosmic wasteland, I think we may finally have a chance at freedom. That's impossible, Hall. There's no way out of the Phantom Zone. No way until now. But if my recollection of astronomy is correct, the comet Boraka should be passing right through this area in a few moments. What good will that do? The Comet Baraka is in the physical universe and has no connection to the Phantom Zone. I know, but its molecular frequency is similar to the ray device Superman used to put us here. It should produce a split-second warp between the Phantom Zone and the real universe. If our timing is perfect, we will be free.
1: They go to Earth for revenge against Superman, who placed them in the zone. They caused Mount Vesuvius to erupt, endangering Naples.
3: Great Scott! Vesuvius is erupting again.
0: Holy Pompey! If we don't act fast, it could destroy the city. Right, Robin. You and I can handle it.
3: Wrong, Batman.
0: You cannot handle it. We have caused Vesuvius to erupt, and unless Superman comes alone, there will be further destruction. Who are you? What are you talking about? Superman understands. Who
3: are they, Superman? Logar, Hull, and Romlock, three of the worst criminals from my home planet Krypton. Krypton exploded when you were a baby, Superman. Right. And as the planet was breaking up, they escaped from the prison of Krypton. It was years later when I captured them and banished them into the Phantom Zone. But no one has ever escaped from the Phantom Zone. No one. Until now. I have to face them alone.
1: When Superman responds, they expose him to red kryptonite. (laughs)
3: Great right, Scott! I blew the lava right into the city! It doesn't make sense. What on earth is wrong with me? Perhaps we can explain,
0: Superman. Wulgar! That's right, Superman. We've been waiting for this day for years.
3: Your time has come, man of steel! Your idle threats don't scare me, Romblock. No, but this might.
0: Red kryptonite! No! Take it away! It's too late, Superman. You've taken a full dose of the red kryptonite. With the unpredictable effects it has on you, there's no telling what will happen. We'll see how super you are from now on!
3: (laughs) That red kryptonite has weakened me, but I've got to go after them. It's no use. I'm too weak to keep up with them. I've got to get back to the Hall of Justice
1: which causes Superman to weaken it and begin aging. Next, the criminals attack the Panama Canal, and when Wonder Woman and Aquaman respond, the criminals use Superman's Phantom Zone projector to send them into the zone. When Batman and Robin respond to an avalanche in Switzerland, they are projected into the zone. When the criminals attack Hong Kong and the Wonder Twins try helping Superman, they are also sent into the zone. Superman distracts the criminals from sinking Australia, then flees to the Hall of Justice, where the computer says blue kryptonite may cure him
3: must be some antidote to the effects of the red kryptonite. Unless I can stop this rapid aging, I won't be able to
0: survive much longer. According to the data in the Justice League standard memory banks, the only possible antidote is blue kryptonite. But blue kryptonite only affects Bizarro. Correct, Superman. And because Bizarro reacts the opposite to you in many ways, it is possible that blue kryptonite, which is harmful to Bizarro, may actually be beneficial to you. It's my only hope, but where
3: will I find blue kryptonite?
0: The exact location has been pinpointed by the Justice League satellite. A small deposit of blue kryptonite will be found in the asteroid belt formed by the explosion of planet Krypton.
3: Great Scott, I'll have to travel through a ton of deadly green kryptonite. If I don't get to the blue kryptonite in time... I haven't a chance to come out alive. I'm too weak to fly at light speed. I'll have to take the Supermobile.
1: Superman uses the Supermobile to fly to the remains of Krypton to find the blue Kryptonite, which does cure him. He then uses the Supermobile to free his friends from the zone. Together, they expose the criminals to red Kryptonite before using the projector to send them back.
3: Thanks to Superman, those devastated cities are back to normal. And it looks like we won't be having any more trouble from those escapees from the Phantom Zone. But what if they get out again like they did before? They won't, Zan. The comet that helped them escape won't return for another 7,000 years. Oh, no! Look! <laughs> Bleak must have been infected by the red kryptonite. Take another look, Wonder Brother. <laughs> Bleak's been infected by a banana cream pie. <laughs> Ta-da!
1: Okay, now this was a very Superman-heavy episode, and this is an episode I liked a lot, because it was very Superman-heavy, heavy on Superman concepts, especially the Phantom Zone, you know, it's right there in the title, Terror from the Phantom Zone, and three three Phantom Zone criminals, much like we're going to see in the Christopher Reeve movies, I don't know if that's necessarily, they knew that there were going to be three villains in a Superman movie coming down the pike, but... There is a nice bit of symmetry there between the show and the later movies. So, we see our three villains in the Phantom Zone, and there is a little bit of continuity. They mentioned that they've been put in the Zone 15 years ago by Superman, so this Superman has been active for at least 15 years. And I like the way the Zone is realized in this show. And this is the first on-screen appearance of the Phantom Zone in either a TV or a movie there was what i called a proto phantom zone way back in 1950 in the second kirk allen serial adam man vs superman if you remember Luthor projected superman into what he called the empty doom which was almost like a proto phantom zone to me but the proper phantom zone was brought into the comics in the 60s but it's all black and the phantoms are drawn just like the invisible jet is all you see is their outline and their voices have by a kind of an echo effect that's caused by the zone so we see a comet and our three villains are knocked out of the Phantom Zone and they fly toward Earth with a simple plan to destroy Superman. We don't need much from their previous encounter with Superman. We just know that he defeated them and put them in the zone. That's really all you need to know for the purposes of this story. So meanwhile, Mount Vesuvius Naples is heating up and the uh, Super Friends see it on the view screen and the uh, three Phantom Zone villains reveal to the Super Friends that they're behind the eruptions and Superman gives us uh, some exposition, telling everybody who they are. I had a hard time, after the viewing of this episode, keeping them straight. I believe the uh, older man in the mustache is Lokar. The big guy is Rumrod or Rumjot or whatever, something like that. And uh, I don't know who the other guy is. I don't know if they're names that are familiar to comic viewers of the time, but they're not familiar to me. So let's just kind of leave that there and move on. So, okay, so... They're Kryptonian, and that's when Superman gets a reminder from Jaina that he was sent to Earth from there when he was a baby, so thank you, Jaina, for that bit of exposition. Superman goes after them alone, because that's what they asked for, and they're smart enough to wear lead to protect themselves from the red kryptonite. So basically, I think Superman must have known that he was walking into a trap when he met the three villains alone. But he does, and Superman does some tunneling to divert the lava, but the lava seems to have somehow avoided his tunnel. Basically, nothing is working the way it should for Superman, and Obviously, the smart viewer knows that Kryptonite is affecting him somehow. For those of you unfamiliar with Red Kryptonite, especially in the Silver Age, Red Kryptonite had an unpredictable effect on Superman. It would never affect him the same way twice. And you're going to see later on in this episode that it doesn't even affect different people the same way twice. So Superman retreats to the Hall of Justice, and so far the Kryptonite is making him older. He's got some gray hair at this point, so Superman is clearly starting to age. So now Wonder Woman and Aquaman are dealing with some flooding by the Panama Canal, aquaman is talking to the sea life and wonder woman ropes a boat meanwhile the three phantom zone criminals they send aquaman and wonder woman into the phantom zone basically the first third of this episode is the three villains sending the heroes into the phantom zone until only superman remains batman and robin go to switzerland to stop an avalanche and uh you know the avalanche is starting when batman and robin see it on the view screen at the hall of justice and somehow they get there in time in the batch yet but the uh the bat does go out of control, and Old Man Superman is going to make an attempt to save them. I give him credit for trying, and Superman does successfully save Batman and Robin, but it's all for naught as they are sent to the Phantom Zone. And the villains are sparing Superman a lifetime in the zone. His fate is to grow old and die while thinking about how he couldn't save them. But the way he's aging, it doesn't look like he's going to live very long, as he's growing old at extremely accelerated rate. And as they, they fly him away, basically one of them grabs Superman by the cape and drag him away the animation is very good showing a very hopeless look on superman's face when i did the commentary on death of superman movie that just came out from dc animation i mentioned that the animated characters faces move much better than their faces on this show but i will say here right here there's some good acting on superman's faces he's got you can tell just by looking at the animation that superman is feeling hopeless good acting by the animators in that shot so, with Superman captured and everybody else in the Phantom Zone, the fate of the world is up to Zan and Jaina. That has got to be the scariest sentence anybody in this universe ever heard. So now, while the villains are attacking Hong Kong and making Superman watch, Rumlock creates an earthquake, and the mustached one creates a tornado, while Rokar is going to create a tsunami. So, the Wonder Twins are all that's left, and Jaina becomes a pegasus, and Zan an ice saddle, and Gleek doesn't want to get onto the saddle. Probably because it's either a bit cold, or he just doesn't want to go anywhere near these Kryptonian villains. Probably a little bit of both. So when they get there, Xan becomes an ice block, and Jaina licks the ice block, and they change back into themselves, and are on their way to the Phantom Zone. Yeah, you heard that right. It was just a very weird sequence. The Jaina in horse form licked the ice block, and boom, they became themselves again, and off to the Phantom Zone they went. So now these guys are going to sink Australia as opposed to give it to Alex Luthor. And they do it very easily. You know, And even running away, the Australians are very calm about their island country serving the same fate as Atlantis. So, the rapidly aging Superman does the one thing, the only thing he could do to help in this situation. He flies away. So Superman goes on the computer and it tells him the antidote is blue kryptonite. Or that it might be blue kryptonite. The computer doesn't know for sure. And This is the point when I realized, I think I saw this episode before. Because I do have a memory of Blue Kryptonite being beneficial to Superman. And for the long time, I thought Blue Kryptonite would help Superman. And it was this show that gave me that misconception. And I don't believe Blue Kryptonite was commonly used in this capacity. But the logic makes sense, and the computer even says it. Since Blue Kryptonite is harmful to Bizarro, and Bizarro tends to react to things... In the opposite of Superman, it's possible that Blue Kryptonite may be beneficial to Superman. And from having having seen this episode as a kid, and really that's the only thing I remember about this episode from when I was a kid. I just remember the idea that Blue Kryptonite can help Superman. I didn't even remember the connection to Bizarro, just the benefits of Blue Kryptonite. I kind of like the idea of a Kryptonite that can help Superman, but obviously it's too easy of an answer. And it's not a well you could go to very often. And of course, it's not going to be too easy for Superman to get to it, as he has to go through a bunch of green kryptonite to get to the blue, and I like that he's going to have to work hard to get it. And this episode marks the first appearance of the Supermobile, you know, a spaceship that apparently has a lot of Superman's powers, and I do like the idea of having a vehicle that could shield him from kryptonite. This is a toy I had with my superpowers collection, you know, it was one of those things my mother always kind of wondered about why Superman needed a spaceship, but... You know, he probably needed a spaceship to sell the toys, but I do like that it serves a function. The function is it can transport Superman to places that he can not fly under his own power, like through a kryptonite field. And this show continues with the premise that kryptonite radiation can get through lead if it's concentrated enough, and Superman does kind of point out as he's flying through the green kryptonite field that even the protection of the supermobile is not keeping all of the green radiation out. So, obviously, Superman gets to the blue kryptonite, and it reverses the... Effects of the Red Kryptonite. And one of the notes I, I made before when I noticed sup, Superman, when he stood up, the older Superman was going bald. So, some hair loss is apparently in Superman's future. So, after the blue Kryptonite reverses the effect of the red, Superman puts it back. Why? It's something that can help you, or at the very least help you get rid of Bizarro. Why the hell would you leave it there where you can't get it? Even if he doesn't bring the whole thing back to you. The Hall just is with him. You should at least take a sample, right? I mean, blue kryptonite is clearly one of the rarest forms of kryptonite. Why not take some home with you? The very least study it. But he doesn't. He leaves it there. I guess he likes making things hard on himself. So Superman sees that the rest of his friends are being chased by some kind of Phantom Zone monster. And apparently the Phantom Zone has some kind of correlation with the real universe. As Superman has to fly to a certain location to see his friends in the zone. He has to get back to Earth to see where they are on the zone you can't just see into the zone from krypton i even find it more amusing that our three villains have chased superman all the way to krypton's final resting place only to realize superman is on his way to earth it's kind of something that's going to happen in lois and clark in the season four superman goes to new krypton to fight this enemy only to learn when he gets there that the enemy has gone to earth instead kind of the same thing here on a smaller scale the villains fly out to krypton to intercept superman he's gone They have to fly home. So Superman will use the Supermobile to get them out of the zone and away from the Phantom Zone creature. And now the Super Friends meet up with the villains in space and expose them to Red Kryptonite. Locar shrinks, the other guy becomes Metal, and Rumlot becomes a Gorilla. And again, those are the unpredictable effects of the Red Kryptonite, changing each Kryptonian into something different. And then Superman sends them back into the Phantom Zone, turnabout being fair play. So for our ending joke... Leak pretends to be an old monkey, making idiot Zan think he was affected by Rare Kryptonite, although he's not from Krypton. That's something Zan should have noticed right away. But it's just, but it's just his tail being used as a cane and a banana cream pie as a as an old man's beard. So, I must say, of the new Super Friends episodes I covered so far, this is definitely my favorite. Very Superman, heavy Superman really does take center stage in this episode. Or even though he's defeated at first, he comes back and he saves the day. Has to rescue the rest of the League. I mean, even if you took the rest of the Super Friends out of this episode, it's still a very good Superman story. Even with a minute, it's a great Superman story. Superman is beaten, overcomes, and in the end, wins the day. So, great episode all around. And I'm even more excited to move on to the next episode. The Challenge of the Super Friends Episode, Secret Origin of the Super Friends. And our synopsis is as follows. Luthor thinks up the idea of changing history.
2: I don't care
0: what your newest scheme is, Luthor. I'm going to take care of the Super Friends my own way. Don't worry, Black Manta. With my next ingenious plan, there won't be any Super Friends to take care of. I've heard that story before. Black Mirror, keep quiet. Let Luther speak. Tell me, what would become of the Super Friends if three of their most powerful members were to vanish from the face of the Earth? What if Superman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern simply never existed?
3: We would gain permanent control of the world.
0: But they do exist, Luthor. Not for long, Grodd. I've recently discovered the secret origins of Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Superman using the hall of doom time conveyor all we have to do is return through time and alter the past so that superman wonder woman and green lantern never get a chance to become super friends
1: (laughs) the legion uses the time conveyor and has cheetah interfere with the amazonian competition diana prince won in 1941 to become wonder woman
3: you are the winner. Strongest of the Amazon women. Take this outfit and magic lasso and use them to help fight injustice in the outer world. I've done it.
0: Now I am Wonder Woman.
1: Lex Luthor replaces Hal Jordan to become Green Lantern. A few more modifications and this jet trainer will be turning
3: out top-notch space pilots. Where on earth did this strange green energy come from?
0: Quick, Hal Jordan! Get out while you can! Now to take his place! a confused hell Jordan watches as Luthor is sucked away by the green energy beam
3: which takes him to the mysterious spacecraft. Come in, Earthman. I am Avin Sur, and I have chosen you to take my place as space patrolman of this sector. With this green energy battery, you will have power over everything except that which is yellow. Take my ring and use it to defend against evil and injustice.
0: Evil and injustice will never be the same.
1: <laughs> and the Legion deflects Kalel's els rocket so the Superman won't exist. With the three heroes gone, the Legion captures the remaining heroes. However... One group of heroes escapes. We're trapped in the Hall of Doom's dungeon and there's no way out. Maybe there is, Robin.
3: All I have to do is vibrate my molecules at super speed and I can pass right through the wall.
0: Nice work, Flash. Holy discoveries, Batman. This must be the Hall of Doom communication center. We could learn a great deal about the Legion of Doom from their computer
3: files, but there's no time. One of these buttons must open the outer door of the Hall of Doom. Great Gotham, we've tapped into the Legion of Doom's file on the Super Friends. Computer file number 17G, Superfriend Elimination Plan 12. Primary targets, Superman,
0: Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern. Superman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern? Who are they?
3: I don't know, Robin. But we'd better bring this computer tape back to the Hall of Justice and check it out.
1: I found the controls to the Hall of Doom's energy transporter. I'll set the coordinates for the Hall of Justice. And Flash discovers the Legion's plan. Batman and Robin go back in time to make Superman exist again.
3: Jonathan, something just crashed up ahead. Let's have a look. It's a baby. He's unhurt. We can hide the rocket and tell the county
1: orphanage we found the child. We'll adopt him and call him Clark Kent. Black Vulcan stops Duthor from being Green Lantern. I am Abim Sur. And I have
3: chosen you to take my place as space patrolman of this sector. With this green energy battery, you will have power over everything except that which is yellow. Take my ring and use it to defend against evil and injustice.
1: I will, Abinzor, and I shall call myself Green Lantern. And Flash saves Wonder Woman, with the three heroes restored. We can answer that Superman. The Legion of
3: Doom returned to the past and altered your early lives so that you would never become super friends. The four of us broke through the time barrier and put the past back the way
2: it was. But where are the other super friends?
3: Luthor has them in the Hall of Doom. We'll work out an escape plan on the way. Let's go. The others are rescued. Well Luthor, your little time trick turned out to be a time trap for you and your Legion of Doom. Time
0: is a slippery substance, Superman, and with it, we'll give you the slip once again.
3: It may be time that helped free the Legion of Doom today, but it will be time that gives us a chance to catch them tomorrow.
1: This was also a great episode. Probably my favorite of the challenge episodes that I've covered so far, and probably the best so far. Again, I don't know the quality of what's coming, but I knew as soon as I saw some of these episode titles, these were episodes I looked forward to immensely. And like I mentioned, some people are tired of seeing origin stories of various heroes. I do enjoy seeing different writers, different takes on old stories. So let's get into this one, shall we? No, No matter how many times I see it, that alligator that blinks in the opening shot still creeps me out. Inside the Hall of Doom, Black Manta is complaining this time, but Grundy shuts him up. Well, Lex Luthor's idea is to erase Superman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman from existence. I guess since if you can't beat them in the present, you may as well just go back to the past and take care of it. Not exactly a new concept, and one that will be reused in various films, and will even be reused again in Superman lore, in the season 2 episode Tempest Fugitive. Probably the best episode of the series, A villain from the future goes back to Smallville in 1966 to try to kill Superman after he had arrived on Earth. That's something I'm looking forward to getting to, but that's still several years away. So somehow Luthor discovered the origin of the aforementioned superhero. Then we get a shot of Diana on Themyscira as a kid, Hal Jordan in his uh, flight simulator, and Superman on Krypton. And in order to travel through time, the time conveyor from the Time Trap episode is brought back into play. So, the first place they're going is to Paradise Island, 1941. 1941 is the year that Wonder Woman made her first appearance in All-Star Comics number 8, and shortly thereafter, Sensation Comics number 1. So, we get to see Hipp- Hippolyta molding Diana out of clay, and there is one kid Wonder Woman being, uh, having life breathed into her by Aphrodite, and it shows off her powers, her strength and speed. It also covers the tournament. That Diana sneaks into and wins, and thereby becoming Wonder Woman and being sent to the United States to help with World War II. At least that's the way it's supposed to happen. And it's hilarious that Diana thinks a domino mask will prevent her, her, her from being recognized. So Cheetah faces off with the young Diana and uh, wins the tournament, and she becomes Wonder Woman instead of Diana. So in the present, Wonder Woman vanishes, and now it's time to watch Green Lantern's Secret Origin. And I love how the Legion are watching these origins as if they're watching somebody's home movies so here is abin sur having crashed on earth he's searching for a replacement the green energy finds out jordan but luthor shows up and screams for him to get out of the ship with the green energy and you know how jordan at this point thought luthor was trying to help him i mean how'd he know what was going on all he knows is he's enveloped in this green energy and he thinks uh luthor is trying to get him out he doesn't know who luthor, who luthor even is And I love the look on his face when Luthor just kind of jumps into the uh, test ship and travels to Abin Sur. So, that makes Luthor a Green Lantern. And Luthor in a Green Lantern costume was kind of funny. I also love the fact that the other Legion members thought Green Lantern was there when Luthor showed up, despite the bald head. You'd think they'd have recognized Lex Luthor wasn't Hal Jordan, but they don't. Because they're dumb. So now, the Hall of Doom is on Krypton, waiting for the end of Superman. And we get everything here. jor is decked out in his Silver Age wardrobe, the green suit with the sun on his chest and it shows the council laughing at him and the launch of the rocket ship that takes kyle out to earth it basically in the space of a minute or two hits all of the uh the notes you need to hit for superman's origin you know all the stuff that kirk allen took kirk allen's serial took 15 minutes on and that the george Reeve show probably took maybe five minutes on and what eventually richard Donner probably spent about a half hour on and it condenses it all into about two minutes so there goes krypton and a quick shot from the legion of doom Superman lands on the wrong planet. They basically just fire at the ship in it, deflects is the angle enough that it lands on this other planet, and we have no idea what happens to to the baby from there. He could die on that planet for all we know. So obviously, time travel has all kinds of strange rules and exceptions and things that can't happen. Because so my first question is, with Superman gone, shouldn't Bizarro disappear too? And I'm guessing the reason he doesn't is because he wasn't in the past with the team. He was in the past with the team that knocked Superman off of his orbit. You know, really no answer to those questions. And basically what happens is the Super Friends are easy pickings without Wonder Woman, Superman, and Green Lantern to help them. So, Luthor has an anger ray, which is going to make the remaining Super Friends fight once they're at the uh, Legion of Doom headquarters, the Hall of Doom. And basically we've got a fatal four-way going on here, to use an all-pro wrestling term, with Apache Chief, Samurai, Hawkman, and Aquaman. And the viewer may wonder why they're not trying to find Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern, but remember, these super friends don't know those three characters ever existed. I didn't really talk much about this, and I'll talk about it now. In all the scenes where where you saw a super friend vanish, the characters make it clear that they have no knowledge of the other character. Batman and Robin were dealing with some kind of disaster with Wonder Woman, and after she disappears, they clearly act as though she never existed. Hawkman was with Superman at a parade when he disappeared. And it went from being the Superman Day Parade to the Hawkman Parade. And I don't necessarily remember what happened when Green Lantern disappeared. But he did. So the Flash gets uh, himself, Batman and Robin, and Black Vulcan. I'm still fighting the urge to call him Black Lightning. He vibrates through a wall and then lets them out. So they escape, but, but not without finding some computer files, with which detail the Legion's plans to capture the superhero to prevent the other superheroes from existing you know it's kind of an, a cheat having them find the computer file but i guess there's no other way to get the other heroes to remember superman batman and wonder woman and you now here's where time travel can kind of get you a little bit without superman batman without without superman green lantern and wonder woman there's no reason for the legion to travel through time and so shouldn't there be two legions of doom now One from this altered timeline, and the one from the original timeline? I know. Time travel makes your head hurt. Uh, At least I'm glad the alternate heroes didn't remember Superman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman. I was afraid that they would just kind of look at Wonder Woman and say, Wonder Woman vanished, where is she? But I'm glad that it seamlessly went from the hero being there to the hero not being there. So they did that very well. But then it falls down a little bit. Because... The computer says it has gaps in its memory where Superman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman should be. How could that be if it's part of an alternate timeline as well? The computer should also have no knowledge of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern, but it's implying that its knowledge is missing. That was a weird line, but I guess it was put in there to kind of corroborate the stories that, that Flash, Batman and Robin, and Black Vulcan were trying to tell. Oh well, not, it's best not to dwell on that too much. Flash goes to save Wonder Woman. Black Vulcan goes to save Green Lantern. And obviously, Batman. And and obviously, Batman and Robin, who have no superpowers, are going to go to Krypton to save Superman. Okay, so Flash uses his speed and Black Vulcan uses his lightning to time travel, I guess. I'm not sure how Batman rigged the Bat Jet to travel through time, but he did. He just flies and it disappears. Maybe he went fast enough to time travel. I don't know. Maybe he did a slingshot around the sun. It's unclear. He's just flying against uh, kind of a a space-like backdrop, and then he disappears. That's it. No more, no less. So Flash intervenes, and it is revealed here that Wonder Woman is rescued. Diana wins the tournament, and she's back to being Wonder Woman. So there's that. Now, I like that the Luthor we see in the past is the past Luthor before he went to see Green Lantern. And they did a good job reusing the audio, and everything is pretty seamless from the first time we saw this scene. Black Vulcan stops Luthor and how Jordan becomes Green Lantern, and we do kind of see this scene twice a little bit. We see Luthor become Green Lantern and how Jordan become Green Lantern. Abin Sur basically gives the same speech to both of them. I'm guessing basically what he, the actor probably only did it once and they used the same thing both times. So, so how Jordan becomes the Green Lantern and he makes a very big production about saying, "I will call myself Green Lantern." So, in space, the Bat Jet gets in front of the whole of Doom's uh, laser beam and prevents uh, Kal-El's rocket from being hit, and it makes it to Earth in time to be found by the Kents, who pick it up, are going to bring it to the orphanage, and then plan to adopt it. Adopt him. It. And it's funny that even as a baby, kal has the spit curl that he's going to use to wear on his hair as Superman. So, they all appear back in the present and seem to be aware that something happened to them. So, Green Lan- so basically, what's going to happen now is Green Lantern is going to anchor the whole of Doom to the ground, but Scarecrow points out that Superman shouldn't exist. But shouldn't the Legion know that their plans were foiled? I mean, shouldn't they know that they failed and that Superman does exist? Being that they were already in the present, shouldn't they have been altered with the restored timeline being restored to their memories? I don't... Again, time travel's giving me a headache. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But the, the heroes are aware something happened, and the Legion members thought... Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern were erased from existence. That's really all you need to know. So, we're going to have a little bit of a space dogfight. Wonder Woman lassos three uh, fighter jets. And, of course, the Legion gets away to fight another day. Whew. That was a good episode. That might have been my favorite so far. i got to talking about time travel, which is always a great thing. And I might have talked in circles a little bit about the time travel. But it seemed to work for the episode. I mean, and they seemed to stick to their own rules. So, if they're going to do that... I really have no complaints, but very good episode. You know, like any time travel story, it has there are holes in it that you can drive a truck through, but what time travel story doesn't? So, remember, these writers do not understand the concept of time travel. No one does. Not even scientists. Alright, so that being said, the two very good episodes to end this week's coverage on. Now, if you want to Next time, I will be covering the new Super Friends episodes, the Antimatter Monster and the World Beneath the Ice, and the Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, Revenge on Gorilla City and Swamp of the Living Dead. And if you want to uh, send in the feedback on the show, tell them what you like, what you don't like, email address is manascreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And you'll also find me on the Fear of the Walking Dead cast with Scott McGregor, Brian Hughes, and his wife Beth. So, till next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Jumo. No opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted they their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a... Our- little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out two true freaks at the same time emails to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast